Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We pray this message encourages you and provides the hope and light of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome. If you're new, my name's Ryan. We're thrilled to have you join us Today And today we're kicking off a series, as you've heard, called When We Pray. Why don't you go ahead and say that to your neighbor, when we pray. Now say it with conviction to your other neighbor, um, when we pray. Notice that it isn't um, if we pray. It's like, yeah, maybe if if you're going to pray, maybe... Uh, or should you pray like this heaping guilt? Uh, well, you should, you ought to, but when we pray, and can you turn me down in the house? I'm a little loud. I'm going to get louder, and I don't want to annoy everyone. Um, thank you. Uh, but it's when we pray, because actually part of the human instinct is prayer. It's your natural instinct and response. Did you know that 71% of Americans report to praying regularly? This is a little wild. 20% of agnostic and atheists say they pray daily. I know, right? I'm like, I'm so confused at this moment. (laughs) Why? Because there's something hardwired in you and me, this instinctual desire to connect and something beyond us that we're just designed for. There's something in us that knows that prayer's powerful even though we don't know how it works. Like that prayer changes things. And that's why even people who wouldn't believe in um, prayer or God would even say, no, no, I'm sending you good Juju, okay, thoughts too, or whatever. Yeah, good vibes. Because there's something about it. We just find that there's something other beyond us that we long to pray. And yet prayer, doesn't it, for most of us, it often, um, it often still remains mysterious, doesn't it? It's like, okay, does God really hear me? I mean, of all the billions of people on this planet, did he hear my one voice? Like, doesn't it feel like sometimes when you pray, like you're just praying and you're lifting your voice and it just rises to the ceiling and it hits it and then it falls flat to the ground? You're like, it didn't break through. Whatever the ether, whatever that is, it did not break through. I'm like, did I use the right words? Is there some way to say it? Maybe I, I wasn't in the right position. Like, like prayer remains this great mystery and this great need of the human soul. And so how do we pray where we experience, experience the presence and power of God? Because that's what you need. That's what we long for. That is the ache of the human heart. There is the deep intrinsic desire of the human heart upon which only the very presence of God will satisfy. And how do you pray in such a way where you experience the presence and power of God? How do we pray in a way that develops this life-giving, soul-shaping relationship with our Heavenly Father? Not duty, not 
ought, not a list of rules, a checklist like, hello, I got it done. I woke up this morning, check, done, moved on. And you're like, it's just this rote activity. I do it because somebody told me to, but it has no impact into my life. You ever been there? Me too. How do you pray in a way that develops this life-giving, not soul-sucking, life-giving, it's soul-shaping what you're designed for, this relationship with your heavenly Father. Well, we're going to spend the next six weeks learning and growing and developing this as a community. And like Christina said, we have this journal that our team put together, 40 days of prayer. And friends, I just got to let you know uh, that if you will dive into this together over the course of 40 days, you will then at the end begin to go, oh, I'm starting to get it. Oh, I'm starting to understand. Oh, I'm starting to get to know my heavenly father And it just gets deeper, and it gets richer, it gets more beautiful. And there's things about who God is that you go like, I I never would have imagined. And now I'm experiencing this life-giving, soul-shaping relationship. By the way, you were designed, you were created for a life-giving, soul-shaping relationship with your heavenly Father. And prayer Well, it's the pathway to experiencing intimacy with God. It's the pathway upon which we experience intimacy with God. And so, today we're going to talk about the basics of prayer. Go ahead and just turn to your neighbor and say basic. Basic. And I'm not meaning it the way it does mean today. Um, The basics of prayer. Today we want to get back to like, how do we get to the foundation and the starting point together? Um, I like how Tim Keller talks about prayer. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. How do we learn to pray that way? Well, you know that the disciples, the only thing they asked Jesus, at least that we have recorded, to teach them. They said, Jesus, would you teach us something? And they didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to do all those miracles. Those are fantastic. That's amazing, right? They, they didn't say, Jesus, that walking on water is pretty awesome. Um, can, can we do that? They said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? See, there's something about the way Jesus prayed that was radically different than the way everyone else prayed that was so intimate and engaging and soul-shaping that that they said, I want what you have and the way you talk to God is the way I want to talk to God. I want that. Would you teach us that? And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's, you know, incredible, it's one of the greatest sermons ever, the greatest sermon ever, 
You know, the lion's share of the sermon, Jesus is talking about prayer and life in the kingdom of God and this relationship with your heavenly Father. And in it, he begins to explain the basics of prayer, of this foundation of how do we do this? How do we engage in this ongoing love relationship with our heavenly Father? If you got your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, again, not if you pray, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. All right, here's what I want to do with our time. I want to first declutter prayer. Jesus is going to tell us actually a couple of ways not to pray. He's going to say, don't do this. And you just saw a couple of those in here. And then give us some really practical steps to begin developing intimacy uh, through prayer with God. What are some real practical ways that we can take steps today? All right, so decluttering prayer. Where does Jesus say, hey, let's drop the baggage off that we have with prayer. The first is prayer is not a performance. It is not a performance. It says, when you pray, do not be like who? Anyone? Hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? Thank you, one of you. Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious elite. In fact, they began with very good intentions, by the way, back in the day to draw Israel into uh, purity and right relationship with God. Uh, They set up all these lists of rules to make sure they didn't uh, blow any of the other rules. So they had rule on top of rule on top of rule, and they heaped them on other people, but they didn't live them themselves, hence hypocrites. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, in the ancient Jewish day, a devout Jewish man, he would first wake up in the morning and quote the great Shema, Hero Israel is the Lord your God, and the Lord is one. And then he would um, quote that in the evening, and then there would be three specific times throughout the day that they would pray. And often they would be praying, uh, you know, very um, scripted out or written prayers back to God. Now, a Pharisee would be in full uh, garb, very ornately dressed to show the sign of their kind of piety and who they were. And during those times of prayer, uh, they would make sure they were in a very public place. Um, because, by the way, not everybody prayed three times a day and life was busy and full and there's lots of people going about their day and work and all these sort of things. And so they would stand on the street corner, oh Lord, you know, and they would pray out loud so everyone would see them. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Prayer is not a performance. It's not a performance for other people. Like when you're praying out loud in a group, it's not somehow that other people think you're more spiritual. But I think more often today for us, it's we're trying to perform for God, isn't it? Like I'm somehow trying to perform for you. And if I kind of use churchy words, or maybe even I change my voice when I pray, you know, like, like, like maybe you'll hear me. 
Like I'm somehow performing this dance and God, if you like it, then maybe you'll respond to me. Think about this. Religion is all about performance. Relationship is all about presence. It's all about presence. See, prayer is not a performance. It's about presence. It's about being. It's about keeping company with God. Being in his presence and enjoying him and him enjoying you. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. Um, He said, bring to God what's in you, not what ought to be in you. Like I think some of the ways we perform is is like we bring what should be in us. Like this is the way I should pray or what I think God wants to hear from me. And if you ever read through the Psalms, you realize David just brought before God what was in him. And God met him there. Or you just bring to him what's in you. You don't have to somehow, you know, measure up. Just bring to God who you are. Prayer is not a performance. Then we go on to see prayer is not a secret formula. He goes on and says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. And so you had these two different pictures in the ancient day of prayer. You had the Pharisees and how they prayed. And then you had uh, the pagans in the uh, temple worship of all the gods and goddesses. And the way they prayed uh, was to evoke their God to move on their behalf. They would pray long, repetitious, loud, and the longer and the louder and the more ecstatic that they became, they thought their God would actually hear them and respond. And if they were in real need, they'd begin to cut themselves and do all sorts of things just to evoke the gods to respond. Jesus says prayer is not a performance and it's not a secret formula. There aren't these like magic words that if you use them, all of a sudden, like, oh, God's like, oh, yes, genie in the bottle. Yes, here I come. I'll come do that. There's not a length that is a proper length. I remember when I was, like, in my 20s, I was wanting to really learn how to pray, and someone said, you should pray 30 minutes a day. That's not bad. Keeps the devil away. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> and so I tried it. I couldn't do it. I run. I uh, and I enjoy running, but I can run about three to five miles. If I tried to go run a marathon right now, I'd be dead. (laughs) That's a lot of the ways it is with us with prayer, too, is we kind of have, like, spiritual greed. I want to get all the way here. I'm like, no, you're right here at the five-minute range, not the 30-minute range, and there's no shame on that. Short prayers or long prayers, it's not like the longer it is, the more impactful it is. I remember my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, yes, fifth grade Sunday school teacher, like ruined prayer for me. (laughs) It's kind of a strong statement, um, but it's true. So here we go. Uh, You know, he really did. And he was a well-intended, wonderful Pharisee. He really was. It means good-hearted. And it was so dogmatic. And I remember he asked me, and I was the preacher's son, he asked me to pray. And and I get up there praying, and I just say amen. He said, Ryan, in front of everybody, you have to say in Jesus' name, amen. And you have to close your eyes. And you have to fold your hands. And I mean, he was dogmatic. And every time then I came in there, I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen. 
as if it's this magical incantation, and if we say it, somehow God will respond. By the way, you can play with, pray with your eyes open or your eyes closed. God still hears you. I pray with my eyes open because of my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. <laughs> Seriously. Those words are powerful if we understand what they mean. In Jesus' name, amen. But a lot of times, we just tag them on to the end. See, in Jesus' name, Jesus actually called us to pray in his name. He didn't mean just tag in Jesus' name at the end. You don't have to say in Jesus' name for it to be in Jesus' name. Let me explain. To pray or to speak someone's name meant in a line with their character and their will. The character of Jesus, who you are, and your will, what you want to be done. That my prayer aligns with your character, who you are, and your will, what you want to be done. That's what it means to be in the name of Jesus. And when we say in the name of Jesus is what I'm saying is what I prayed was in alignment with your character and with your will. So by the way, when you say bless this food to my body and it's Taco Bell, it's not in alignment with his character or his will. And he cannot bless it. I'm sorry. God just says, no. Ain't going to do it. Right? It's in his name, his character, and then amen. Let it be so, is what the amen says. Let it be so. May it come about. I've prayed this prayer, and I've thought about it. It's in line with your character, your will, and who you are. Let it be so. See, they're, they're words powerful when we understand them, but they're not magical incantations or something secret formula. If I just say that, then I evoke God to somehow and work and move on my behalf. Decluttering prayer, it's not a performance. It's not a secret formula. Okay, so how do I develop intimacy with God in prayer? How do I take some of these steps? The very first step is we need to view prayer as necessary, not just a nice idea. A lot of us, I think, when we think about prayer is the same way I think about flossing. It's a nice idea. Now, for all you haters, um, I'm 41. I've never had a cavity. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know why I bowed. That was awkward. I'll never do that again. It actually bugs my wife because we'll go to the dentist and I, every time I, I do it tongue-in-cheek, what'd they say? I'm like, teeth are perfect. <laughs> I don't floss. I don't floss. I'm sorry. I don't, I, don't, I don't do it. But you know what I do do is when I go to the dentist, and hello, my dentist isn't here, praise God, right now. Um, but when I go to the dentist, they ask, how often do you floss? And my answer is the closest thing to lying but not lying. Not as often as I should. which is true. <laughs> and that's kind of how we think about prayer. When it comes up, and even this conversation, there's like a little bit of a wave of guilt that comes over us because it's like, oh, I, I know I should. Not as often as I should. The first step into really beginning to develop prayer in this intimate relationship is we begin to shift, oh, no, it's necessary. 
It's not just a nice idea. Do you know Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, not if you pray? That, that this is, again, it's the pathway. It's a pathway to experiencing intimacy with God. And Jesus, God himself in flesh, Notice this, like even when his life got busy, especially when his life got busy, he carved out time for prayer because he knew it was necessary. Notice this, Luke 5, 15 says, um, yet the news about him spread all the more so crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed by their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus gave a special time to prayer when life was unusually busy. I just wonder what would happen and change in your life because what happens is when life gets unusually busy, prayer is way off the table, right? It is for me. So if we understood, oh, I have a good, loving, heavenly Father who knows all things, who's all-powerful, who understands my day, who has already seen what's going to happen in my day, wants to prepare me, wants to speak to me, encourage me, equip me, and if I stop and I meet with him, he may just want to move in my life to prepare me and use me for the day ahead. See, we've got to begin viewing prayer not just as a nice idea, but necessary. And then how, how we approach God. You approach your heavenly Father who loves you. Let me ask you, who do you pray to when you pray? I mean, like what picture comes to your mind? I think for many of us, the picture might be of a God that's down on you, might be of someone who's withholding that like, you know, when you finally get your act right, then I'll actually, you know, give you something good. <laughs> a God with crossed arms, toe tapped, just waiting for you to blow it. Did you notice that Jesus said, pray to your, help me out, Father. Your Father who sees Think about that. The God of the universe, he, Jesus invites you to call Father, and he sees you. He sees what you're walking through. You're seen. You're not overlooked. You're not unseen. You're not invisible. You're, you're not just hoping somebody will notice you. And I know that for some is how you're walking through life, but your Father sees you, and he knows what you need even before you ask him. We take this for granted often in our day. In Jesus' day, the Jewish idea of God, and especially the name of God, was so sacred, so holy, you wouldn't even utter it. And for Jesus to then call God as Father was scandalous to them. He said, when you have God as your Father, what that means is you have access, access the way a daughter or son has access to a father. Uh, you have authority because you carry the family name. You don't come begging. You don't come hoping. You don't come wishing. You come to a father. In fact, a little bit later on, Jesus would say this in the Sermon on the Mount because I think our tension then with Father, isn't it true that like we have earthly fathers and many have had earthly fathers who have let us down. 
who have hurt us, who've wounded us, who've been absent or abusive. And our picture of God is just gets wrapped up into that brokenness. And I love how Jesus then paints our heavenly father. Notice what he says. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Um, not many of you. If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Most of us wouldn't, and the ones that would should go to jail. <laughs> it's a true story. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. If we, as human parents, broken, and most of us know how to give good gifts to our kids, notice this, how much more? What if in your mind, when you approach your heavenly father, you understood that you approach the God of the how much more, not the God holding out on you. The God who says, I have how much more. If you think as it, the best version of an earthly parent that you could come up with, God is how much more. He is your perfect heavenly father. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who love him? See how that changes when you approach that God, think about this. When you pray, you come. Listen, next slide. You come as wholly accepted. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to get it. You don't have to somehow eke your way. You're fully loved. Nothing you can do will ever change that reality. You're cherished. Daughter, son of a good and loving heavenly father, think about this, who delights to hear your voice and loves to give you good gifts. That's who you approach. And so, how do we develop intimacy with God? We begin to understand it's necessary, not just a nice idea. Approach our heavenly father who loves us. And then we have to set aside a specific time and a sacred space. Notice Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Set aside a specific time and a sacred place. Jesus modeled this. He had a time and place. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Set aside a specific time. I have it on the calendar and then a sacred space. Your sacred space can be your couch. It can be your bed. It can be a coffee shop. It can be your car. It can be a walk on your lunch break. But what is your sacred space where you just go, man, this space. I know during other times it's an ordinary space, but in this moment it is a sacred space and I meet with God. And then set aside a time. You might be a er, morning person or you might be an evening person. Well, Jesus was a morning person, so no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to be a morning person. But I think sometimes we think a certain time is a better time, don't we? And sometimes pastors like me go because we're often cerebral and uh, generally early risers and journalers and like, oh, should I journal? I don't know. I like to. If it's helpful, wonderful. If not, don't. Freedom. But you have a specific time. If you're a morning person, 
Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's in the evening where you set aside a specific time to be with him. What time are you going to do it? Write it down. Set it on your calendar. I like how Eugene Peterson said it. I can be active and pray. I can work and pray. But I cannot be busy and pray. I cannot be inwardly rushed, distracted, or dispersed in order to pray. I have to be paying more attention to God than what people are saying to me, more attention to God than to my clamoring ego. Usually, for that to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. And I got to give you a word of warning at the beginning. This will be a little bit challenging. In fact, I love how Tim Keller said it in his book on prayer because I want to highlight that this is going to be a process and a practice as you step into it. It's not going to be like, oh, this is amazing right at the beginning. It might be a little awkward and challenging. He wrote, most contemporary people base their inner life on their outward circumstances. Their inner peace is based on other people's valuation of them and on their social status, prosperity, and performance. If we give priority to the outer life, Silicon Valley, our inner life, he didn't write Silicon Valley, I did. Our inner life will be dark and scary. We will not know what to do with solitude, will be deeply uncomfortable with self-examination, and will have an increasingly short attention span for any kind of reflection. And so it's going to be a process. That's why even with these booklets, like it can be five minutes or it can be 15 minutes. Just take those steps. Developing intimacy with God, view prayer as necessary. We approach our perfect Heavenly Father who loves us, set aside a specific time, a sacred place, and then finally, pray. Pray. You just got to pray. You can read about prayer. You can come listen to sermons about prayer. You can find the best podcast on prayer. And yet, you will not develop intimacy with God until you start praying. Now think about this. Imagine if we were friends. And imagine if the only time I talked to you was about every three to four weeks when life was going really badly and I just needed something from you. How good of a friendship would we have? Imagine just maybe if you don't have kids, if that's your relationship with your kids. How good of a relationship would you have? No. Me and my kids, if they only come what need, I want so much more, but I'm not going to, I'm going to meet them in their need. See, part of the process is just beginning that conversation, beginning that relationship, and starting to get to know God and developing that. And that just begins with a consistency. That's why we're doing 40 days. We have it all outlined so you can just take that step together as easy as possible. Would you join us? 
because you'll be incredibly amazed at what God wants to do in you, what he wants to do through you, and the depth of relationship, his presence and power that he wants to meet you in on this journey. And so, I like how Richard Foster says it as we take steps forward. He says, the same way a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. Take the pressure off. Just start. Take the pressure off and just start and begin to learn how to pray together. And so, here's how I want to close our time. Jesus, the disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, and he gave them the Lord's Prayer. And this is what comes directly next in the text on the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to take a moment and lead us in prayer. Not just talk about prayer, but lead us in prayer. Would you take a breath, keep your eyes open or closed? Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And we'll be walking through each of these stanzas each day for the next week. But I just wanted to get our hearts oriented. Begin first with worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Literally, hallowed means let your name be sacred to me. I don't want to pull you down into my world. I always want to keep you in your proper place. And worship is ascribing proper worth to the greatness of who God is. Would you just begin by thanking God? Thank him for what he's done, where he's working, who he is. The next movement, one of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you just begin to pray that prayer, your kingdom done, your will be done in my marriage, in my singleness, in my finances, in my workplace, in my thought life as it is in heaven. And begin to surrender those areas where you go, you know, I want your kingdom and not my kingdom. And then Jesus moves to requests. Give us this day our daily bread. What do you need today? Isn't it amazing that God invites us? He longs to hear our requests. He tells us to ask, to seek, to knock. What do you need today? What are the concerns of your heart, the worries? Bring those to him. And then confession, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of you walked in with shame and baggage that he does not want you to live in. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Where you confess it, you say, God, would you forgive me? And you leave it at the cross and you walk out free. 
And then Jesus closes with protection. Have you ever noticed that when you take a step towards God, it seems like all hell breaks loose? Maybe that habit that you had kind of under control, it raises its head. Maybe a relationship just begins to go south. Pray protection as you take this journey. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, would you protect me from me, my natural bent away from you? And would you protect me from the enemy who wants to entice and pull me away from you? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this message. Please subscribe to our podcast for access to every episode as they're uploaded. And hey, we'd love to connect with you. Take a next step by filling out our virtual connection card at awakeningchurch.com slash card.